enter the creative world behind your own marketing business. Explore a variety of trends in the creative landscape, getting insider knowledge and advice from the industry's best. George is proud to present Mind Your Own Marketing Business host, Tim Barsness. Thanks for joining us on the Mind Your Own Marketing Business Podcast. I'm Tim Barsness, founder of web and mobile development team Fjords, and today we will be talking with Mario Natarelli about his full-service marketing agency, Emblem. Welcome to the show, Mario. Hey, Tim. Great to be here. Thank you. Glad you could be here. Uh, so, Mario, Mario, can you tell us a little bit about Emblem? Yeah, we're in seven countries. We're an independent agency. Uh, this is our seventh year. Uh, we've been um, trying to merge the the strengths that we have in branding with our experience in digital and helping clients uh, transform their brands. So you are uh, the managing partner of Emblem. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you how did you come to um, this position? My career started as an architect. I graduated uh, at around ninety eight. Uh, spent five years. Um, sort of apprenticing in architecture. And uh, I was very much interested in technology, was always using uh, digital tools in my, in my business and decided to do more with virtual reality and uh, got more into the marketing of architecture and started a business that was acquired by Interpublic and uh, 20 years later was um, leading Future Brand as a division of Interpublic. Uh, learned a lot about how to position and transform brands, worked on virtually every continent um, over that 20 year span. And then uh, decided I would try another startup and uh, seven years ago we created Emblem. So Emblem is your second startup. Um, what did you take away from your first that impacted the second? <laughs> yeah. I wish I could say that I, I've not made any mistakes the second time around, but <laughs> as you can imagine, these things don't get any easier. They say you only have one startup in your life, so somehow I think I'm tempting fate. I, yeah, uh, right. I think uh, we decided to keep the business intentionally focused, partners stay involved in the businesses, uh, in the clients' businesses, so this is a, a much more bespoke operation than, than what I uh, built in the past. I also created it with much more of a multidisciplinary perspective from the beginning as opposed to grafting on uh, skills or disciplines over time. We, we tried to kind of uh, engineer it from the beginning with a more organic and, and more diversity. And what was the intention behind that? What were you looking for there? You know, I think the world has changed and how marketing solutions have, have, have to be sort of engineered for clients today needs, needs to be, um, you know, natively digital and, you know, with a sort of deep and profound understanding of how brands work. So um, what we did in the past was trying to play catch up, I think, to the market. And what we were trying to do now is to say, you know, we, we understand these dynamics more, um, I think, intuitively and and the business has to sort of be shaped from it from the outset. So tell us a little bit about Mario. What does your day-to-day -day look like right now? You know, I, I think it sort of resembles the business, which is one part services uh, helping clients with their challenges. One part of it is um, around the thinking of the business, which is what is this idea around brand intimacy that we're exploring and are passionate about and how do we deepen it? And the third is what we're doing in software. So understanding what are the tools and techniques and technologies that are helping our clients 
um, both in terms of an extension of their platforms or using our own proprietary platforms. Do you find that your um, your efforts in services and your efforts in software um, are complementary, um, or do you ever find them conflicting? That's a great question. I, I think they do complement each other. There are um, conflicts in terms of how you engage with clients, the, the contracting and the sort of dependencies and, and requirements, mindsets, also the clients themselves within an organization vary between services and, and software. So there is certainly tension at times and they do behave very differently in the way that they're um, you know, deployed and, um, and sort of manifested. But I think ultimately they're synergistic. They should be. I mean, that's what the future I think looks like for marketing agencies. Is a combination of services and yeah, software? Yeah, absolutely. Whether it be your own software or leveraging yeah, someone else's? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's, it, it seems to be the way the world is going. Everybody's a power, needs to be a power user in everything, or in, a, really, in a, a wide variety of things at least. And maybe beyond marketing, it's really almost how every role is changing, um, right? I mean, almost every industry is being impacted in similar ways. Sure, totally. Um, so I'm curious, you know, it, it seems like Emblem's growth has been pretty, pretty steady, um, at least looking at the results here after year seven. Um, I'm curious, what, what was the key to, to founding and, and building an agency that, um, you know, has been so successful? Well, you can imagine doing it for the second time. We thought, uh, let's make sure we, you know, we build growth in as a strategy early. And so we, we decided to form Emblem around seasoned, experienced partners. It's owner operated, so the structure of the network is also unique. Uh, unlike most marketing networks where the parent owns the children, here each, in the, each office actually owns a piece of, of the whole. So it, it's, um, I think, incentivized each office really well, each, each group. Uh, and because they're seasoned, experienced leaders, um, we've come with a lot of referral clients. The business kind of grew both, I think, aggressively and, and steadily from the outset. So those two things, I think, worked out really quite well. So your your strategy with different offices is, um, does, it sounds to me like it's almost like a franchise model. Yeah, similar. Yeah. It's owner-operated and uh, each, each uh, office... Um, each office's leader both drives the local business and owns a piece of the overall emblem business. And are, are all the offices cross-discipline as well, or do they have specialties as far as um, what, they, what they do? Three of the seven are full-service hub offices, and others are either um, tailored in one particular area or are more like satellite or support offices. For example, our office in Toronto is predominantly a software entity and it services most of the network in that area. Got it. Mexico, um, Dubai, and uh, New York are full service. Okay. And I just want to clarify, you said um, the, the key was to build growth in as a strategy. And by that, you mean um, bringing in partners who can help build, bring growth? Meaning, you know, often businesses start with a great idea um, and a sort of hope as to where the business will come from. And this business started with a stronger, a stronger clarity, strong clarity around um, what kind of business we would start with and where it would come from, who would secure it and lead it. So there was just a lot more definition around 
um, those things than, than what we certainly had at the first time. <laughs> Got it. So you're not yeah. subscribing to the, if you build it, they will come yeah, mentality. Yeah, exactly. Especially in this business, which is very difficult. So how did you know going in where it would come from? Was it solidified? Did you have commitments? Well, I think when you've been when you have partners that have been doing it for more than a decade, you they come with uh, you know a book of business, as we say, right? Sure. They come with relationships. They come with uh, a sense of the market and where they could be competitive. So um, you know nothing is bankable in this business or most. So you know there was always going to be some surprises, and we certainly found them too. Um, but in general, it trended as we expected. Got it. And um, the future is bright, it sounds like? We're excited. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you do this because you're excited to be an owner and to sort of chart your path. And when things go well, there's really no greater feeling. Got it. Um, so um, I'm curious, Emblem... Uh, talks a lot about um, brand intimacy. Can you describe what that is? Yeah, real simple. It's the science of the bonds that we form with the brands that we love. And it's really centered on the idea that uh, emotion is key to the brands that you use and the ones that you can't live without. Uh, When we make decisions, it's based on emotion. This is something that scientists and behavioral scientists and psychologists have proven. So we decided that there weren't a lot of marketing frameworks or models that factored emotion in as well uh, as they should. And so that was really the, the impetus behind chasing this idea of brand intimacy. Got it. Um, so if that's the core of what Emblem does, um, what, what kind of results are you seeing or, or how, how does Emblem work with their clients? Well, um, the concept of intimacy is is both a kind of big one. It's a big idea that that is really a kind of north star, or a compass for what what brands should have built in. But it's also an opportunity for us to activate, enhance, or improve existing brands. So when clients are hiring us, they're looking for either the big transformation, you know, I need a brand and I need you guys to help us point it in the right direction, or they're coming to us and saying, hey, we've got this, you know, big business and we need your help in fixing parts of it or aligning or creating activations that improve performance in these areas. Got it. Is intimacy something that's relevant to every brand or are there brands where it doesn't necessarily apply? I believe it's uh, universal, both B2B, B2C, even, you know, in-person brands or uh, celebrity brands all could, I think, take advantage of the principles of brand intimacy. Um, and if I wanted to get started in that arena, what, how do I take action? As a business or as a person? As a, as a business. <laughs> well, I think uh, we say a couple things. One is, are you currently measuring uh, emotion in your um, in your brand, who is attracted to it and how, and think of it across all your stakeholders, from employees, partners, uh, your customers, and even you know diving deeper into subsets of of your customers. So if you aren't measuring it in some way, shape, or form, that would be a good first step. If um, if that's kind of well underway or something that you think you can um, easily achieve, then what we also look for is 
a way to assess the brand from an essence story experience perspective. So essence, what do you stand for? How do you project it? Story, what's your narrative? How are you engaging audiences and experience? How are you orchestrating the brand across your channels and touch points? So in one of those three areas or all of those three areas, there's probably ways that you can do more to build stronger intimacy with you and your stakeholders. How is intimacy measured? The model itself, let me give it to you at a sort of high level, and you can uh, dive in on our website and learn more about the methodology and the details. Um, but at a high level, you have to be a user of the brand. So this is not about perception or how you, how you uh, perceive or feel about a brand. This is ultimately based on you being a user, have to be a user. The model is broken into two, two major components. One we call archetypes. There are six proven patterns or what we call characteristics to how you bond with a brand. Um, the six really fast are fulfillment, identity, enhancement, ritual, nostalgia, and indulgence. No one of those archetypes is any more important than the other, and some brands take advantage of one or two of those, or sometimes three of them. Um, so think of that like the DNA of the brand. The second uh, major part of the model is stages. There are three major stages, sharing, bonding, and fusing. Um, Obviously, the higher the stage, the, the, the greater degree of intimacy. It's also um, increasingly more rare to be fused with a brand, the, the topmost stage. When you're fused, you're inextricably linked. Your values and, your, and the brand's values are, are one and the same. So uh, it's a great kind of goal for, for marketers and for a brand to achieve that. However, uh, in general, that happens less often. Got it. So, those, sorry, just to finish, those two major areas, archetypes and stages, form the, 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 the concept of how we measure intimacy. Um, so we're kind of getting into um, what, what exactly brand intimacy is, um, or more details on it. I'm just curious, at a high level, um, kind of back to Emblem, what, um, what are... How would you just describe the the independently owned multiple office um, agency? Um, you know, as it compares to either, I guess, both a single uh, single office agency and an agency that might be owned by a um, by a larger entity. How would I compare the culture difference or yeah, the exactly. vibe yeah. of the place? Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Uh... Well, I've, I've been part of a uh, large publicly owned network of agencies. And, um, you know, I think those places are, those places can be positive and wonderful things. I think what differs here is there's a little bit more agility maybe in the, in the culture. It tends to skew um, younger. Uh, our, our team is a younger team than what I uh, certainly led in, in uh, Future Brand. Um, you know, just I would say scrappy and uh, yeah, I guess the word agility is maybe the best, the best way to sort of think of it. Do you think that um, with that scrappiness and agility um, requires a different type of person to work within the agency? Yeah, I think that's a fair point, right? I think if you're looking for stable, you know, bankable, kind of dependable, um, this environment can be a little more uh, topsy-turvy, I guess, than, than what you might find in a larger environment. Um, so that's definitely fair to surmise. 
I like your use of the the term bankable. Um, <laughs> something that defines the or not bankable as the opposite of stability, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Less bankable. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so what are some common myths or misconceptions about work in your field? In marketing, you mean? Uh, yeah. Well, that anyone can do it, right? I mean, these, these marketing concepts seems like common sense in many ways, right? Like you need a name or you need a logo, and those sound like things that either anybody can do or, you know, software produces. Uh, so there's a general misconception of the degree of talent and experience that's required to do this well. Got it. And what do you do about that? <laughs> yeah, you pull your hair out, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, part of it is uh, an educational process, right? So it's a little bit of nudging clients along and getting, giving them a sense and appreciation of what makes good marketing better than mediocre marketing and why choosing us might get them there. I think we've also gotten smarter in assessing fit, right? There are some, some prospects or some clients that just won't ever see it or appreciate it. And that's okay. We, you're just not for us, right? You just get smarter at sort of identifying those. So Mario, um, Emblem conducts an annual brand intimacy study. Um, I'm curious, what are your takeaways from this year's study? Well, every year there's always interesting um, movement and surprises and, and things that we find fascinating. Uh, th by the way, this is based on 6,000 consumers. We do it in three countries, Mexico, the UAE, and the US. And this year, I think we're most surprised by the fact that Jeep has conquered and entered the top 10, the Jeep brand. Um, and YouTube is number six, a fast rising brand, a brand that does extremely well with young audiences. I think those are two of many of the interesting findings we we got this year sure so let's go back to the audience you said us uae and one other country mexico mexico okay so how did you land on the on those markets <laughs> odd odd little uh, pairing right yeah um couple reasons one we ch wanted to choose a country that or a city that um i think personified growth in the future and and maybe that's very um clear to people that have been to Dubai or know about Dubai, but this is a sort of fast moving, dynamic, new place. And then we wanted a country in Latin America um, and, and a city that we also had an office in where we were building brands. So that was the, the reason for Mexico. Next year, we're adding Asia and hopefully a country in, in Europe as well. Okay. In past, in past studies, we have done work in Japan and um, Germany. So those countries were factored in older studies. So um, I'm going to call out the brands in order just to create some context, but um, brands from 1 to 10 are Apple, Amazon, BMW, Jeep, Disney, YouTube, Target, Netflix, Whole Foods, and Google. Um, I think it's interesting that Amazon and Google are the two brands that have multiple brands in the top 10. Um, any thoughts as to why that might be? Well, Amazon has been a sort of strong performer and keeps improving year over year. I suspect it will be number one eventually. Uh, it will unseat Apple, is my bold prediction. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I think is both its growth organically and uh, inorganic or through acquisition and, and no better example than its acquisition of Whole Foods, which ranks number nine in the study. So I think it <clears throat> also Prime is number 29, I believe, the Amazon Prime brand. Sure, interesting. So. 
Um, when you talk about unseating Apple, um, I'm curious, do you think that's due to Amazon's more open philosophy? I think it's just the way the brand is growing in, in its many tentacles. It's sort of de definitionless, right? Of a, it, it kind of is strong in technology. It's strong, obviously, in fulfillment services. Uh, but it's growing in so many other areas that I think it's got just such breadth to it that um, I think you'll see it overtaking brands like Apple, which are, by contrast, relatively narrow. Got it. So um, what... What are the things that um, brands in the top 10 or brands who make the list at all um, do well in general to, to get them here? What I like about the study versus other uh, brand rankings that might be by reputation or by uh, value is generally bigger brands do better. In our study, it doesn't really matter how big a company is, if it's public uh, or not. As long as it's winning over hearts and minds, it can perform extremely well. What it generally uh, shows us is that the brands that do well do well in several key archetypes. Um, not necessarily the same ones, but they do um, you know, have a kind of uh, core characteristic to the brand that, that is uh, above and beyond its competitors. And then the other thing it, it does well is in the stages, that it, it is forming intimate bonds with, with its customers in one of the three stages. And remind me again the stages. Sharing, bonding, and fusing. Got it. Um, so it, it, these brands do well in one of them, not necessarily in all of them? In terms in of audience, in the stages? Yeah. yeah yep. Generally, they grow audiences from, think of it like a, a ziggurat. It grows from the bottom sharing, middle is, uh, bond, sorry, bottom is sharing, middle is bonding, and the top is fusing. And generally, customers are moving, ideally, up towards the fusing. So you'll have more in sharing, slightly less in bonding, and fewer in fusing. And brands that do very well generally do better than their competitors in all three of those areas. Okay. And the, and the more, the better you do in fusing, the stronger the degree of intimacy. Got it. Is, um, so is the speed at which you move people through those um, stages important? I think there's two things that are important. One is getting them into one of the three stages, and then yes, m you know, migrating or moving or elevating them through. Sure. Um, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to ask you a specific question about YouTube now. Um, I believe Google acquired YouTube sometime in the the early 2000s. Um, what what has YouTube YouTube's brand done since that time to get it to this point where it's uh, number six on your list? Yeah, I think the whole environment of streaming services has completely changed from uh, when it was first acquired. I think if anyone could have predicted how that space would have moved, I think you know they would be obviously doing extremely well. And clearly, the leaders at Google had seen a potential here, and probably the reason why they went for it. Um, as a brand, you know, YouTube I think has become a lot sharper and clearer in its messaging and its its identity. They refreshed the brand uh, less than a year ago, um, which you may or may not be familiar with. They sort of cleaned up the, the logo itself. They've gotten a lot stronger around uh, their original content. Um, and now with live TV as an added feature, it's really becoming a one-stop shop for anybody um, who's interested in entertainment of any kind. Sure. Um, so I'm curious, uh, those 
Um, you, you mentioned live TV, so I believe that's called YouTube TV. Right. Um, there were some ads during the baseball playoffs last fall um, that had YouTube TV where the ad had the live game within it. Um, are you familiar with those ads at all? I remember the advertising during the during the baseball season. Yeah. Uh, and they're also partners with YouTube, so yeah. they feature. But I don't recall that ad specifically. Okay, got it. Um, well, I was going to ask a question around that ad, but go I'll, ahead. I'll so I guess I'm just I'm just curious which of the which of the stages um, that you're which of the stages do you feel like those ads were targeting or helping to propel the brand forward? So I think what's behind your question, which is interesting, right, is what role does advertising play in elevating intimacy and specifically in stages, right? Yep. So we would say that. You know, advertising and concepts around advertising are tactics that can be applied to intimacy, but they don't necessarily correlate one to one, right? So, um, are you a user of the brand? If you are, you know, what is that ad doing to either, you know, help you move up the stages or, you know, identify an archetype? Uh, it's really hard to kind of pin that down, right? It doesn't quite yeah. correlate so directly. Got um, it. You know, the thing about YouTube is its biggest archetype is ritual, something that you do on a uh, frequent basis, something that's part of your kind of routine or daily or weekly regimen. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe what um, that ad is kind of portraying is that if you're watching baseball on a frequent basis, it's really enhancing that ritual archetype. Um, maybe that's one way to answer your question. Sure. Got it. That makes sense. Uh, I'm curious, how has... Uh, or does social media continue to be um, a huge factor uh, when it comes to brand intimacy? I think so, and in, in really a lot of profound ways. You know, I think the first interesting thing is that the opposite of intimacy is indifference, right? So when a brand kind of goes astray or has a pitfall or does something kind of disastrous, uh, you know, you're basically shedding or diluting your intimacy, right? So intimacy is nothing, it's never static. And social media can both be um, a great uh, enabler and a deterrent. Um, when, when a brand has a misstep, uh, the, the recent example I like using is this uh, Alexa speaker thing where it started laughing demonically, right? Did you, guys, did you remember that? Did you see that, Sam? I'm not familiar with it, no. So the Echo just started laughing, uh, uncontrolled, like without prompt. Just oh, sure. So, so imagine and, in the middle of the And night. people didn't know where it was coming from. Right. right. And it's very okay. demonic laughing. It's yep. sort of not, you know, very happy laughing. <laughs> so that's an example of a misstep or a kind of tech, tech glitch, right? So here's, yeah. here's a brand like Amazon faced with this challenge. And then what social media is, you know, both great at and also a challenge around is that it, you know, propagates that message and delivers it and grows it and and ultimately can affect influencers of the brand, right? Yeah, And right. then so how Amazon gets out in front of it and both uses technology and, and crisis management and other techniques to sort of um, solve it is, is fascinating too, right? So That's just one example, I guess. Sure. One question around that. So um, the product, the Echo, um, is, you know, somewhat intimate in a way that it's it's creating a new category right absolutely so people are already sensitive sensitive to it how does that how does that affect the either the requirement for intimacy or intimacy or um people's perception of a brand and its intimacy yeah i think that's a great 
Great point, great question. There are brands that either you uh, wear or ingest or you bring into your life in ways like the Echo that they hear your conversations, they are part of your uh, intimate scenes at the family table or in the kitchen. And I think those brands have to kind of raise the bar on all issues that you, you prize, whether it's security, um, you know, the role of, uh, you know, it's, it's behavior in your midst, I think is critical, right? So uh, just like something that you ingest has to make sure it doesn't kill you or keeps you safe and healthy. And so uh, any of those brands have heightened degrees of importance as it comes to intimacy. Sure, right, got it. Um, all right, so I, I heard you mention that the opposite of intimacy is indifference. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just curious, if that's the case, is it then possible to have a negative intimacy or is sentiment not really relevant? Yeah, you know, my dream study is to actually come up with the 10 most indifferent brands. Um, <laughs> I do think there's a counterweight measure to intimacy that's really important. And um, we don't measure, we don't rank or measure that to the degree that we do, obviously, uh, intimacy, but it, it fascinates us, and we love looking at these pitfalls and the lessons that you can learn from them. Whether it's the, you know, the the passenger who was dragged off the United flight bloodied, uh, or this recent debacle with Facebook and um, data privacy breaches. So these are you know wonderful moments for marketing lessons. Is it interesting to you that Facebook uh, isn't in the top ten? You know, social media brands do especially poor do especially poorly on our study, and we have a couple of hypotheses for that. Um, but they they are consistently weak performers. Okay, um, so maybe not interesting, but I'm intrigued. Do you what? Do you have any theories that you can throw out? Sure. So I think the first is what we call. Um, a factor related to the smartphone ecosystem. If you think of all the brands that live in your phone or around your phone, uh, the social media brands actually generally do the worst. So the best performing ones are the hard, hardware brands, Samsung, Apple, LG, Sony. And we believe that's the case because they're what you hold. Um, they're the kind of platform, the physical platform. Um, yeah. The next most important are content brands, brands like Google, um, or informational brands or entertainment brands that you use, maybe YouTube, brands like that. Yep. The next stage of, of importance goes to the access brands, right? The cell providers or the people that you get your signal from. And then the last ones are the social media brands. So they rank absolutely last in that hierarchy. Uh, and we think that it's because you take them for granted. You treat them as utilities. They're kind of free. Um, yeah. And they, they don't form strong emotional bonds with you. So because you don't pay for them, you don't have a strong emotional bond with them? I think that's one piece of it. The payment part is one piece of it. Okay. But I also think that the role that they play in your life as a sort of facilitator, aggregator, uh, access. Almost superficial in general. In general, yeah. Okay, interesting. That's a theory. Yeah, I like it. Um, so we are out of time, so that's it for today on the Mind Your Own Marketing Business Podcast. Um, you can reach Mario at emblem.com. That's M-B-L-M.com. Um, and find his book, uh, Branded Intimacy, A New Paradigm in Marketing, uh, available on Amazon and all the usual places. 
Thanks for being on the show today, Mario. I really appreciate it, Tim. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. You can download episodes of our program by going to fjordsdigital.com slash mindyourownmarketingbusiness or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio.